Many of you may already know, but we have established here something called a family of churches. Uh, and we have one in Long Island that we do a lot with, Michael Rubino, also one in Vermont, uh, Mission City Church with Tim Owens. Those individuals were able, those leaders were able to come and be a part of a Sunday this last summer with us. And they'll be coming back in a couple of weeks just to be with us during the week as we get to pour into them. And so right now, I'd like to invite you um, to be able to watch and to, to listen to a message from Pastor Tim about what this partnership, this family of churches really means to him. So let's watch this together. Good morning, Chapel Point Church. My name is Tim Owens, and I get the privilege of being one of the pastors of Mission City Church. God sent us here, half my small group, eight years ago to plant this great work. And man, we have seen him move in power over the last eight years. We have had opportunity as a church to help a partner and help plant over uh, uh, a half a dozen churches all over New England. And we've also had the opportunity of starting two campuses out of our church here uh, in Rutland. And also, man, I'm excited to say that right now, standing where I'm standing in this multiplication center, we have three residents who are being trained up over the next 12 to 18 months and who will be sent out all over New England to plant a new gospel preaching church in places where there are none. I want to thank you this morning. Maybe you're wondering, well, what have we done? Well, I want to tell you something. You've done a lot. Uh, we are one of three churches, uh, your church uh, there, Chapel Point, our church, Mission City, and a church on Long Island, uh, Cornerstone, come together and have decided that we're going to be a family of churches under the umbrella of Be the Church. And man, I'm excited about the days ahead. The partnership for us has been so life-changing. Man, we believe we got to a place to where we were deciding that we needed help to go from where we are to where God wants us to go next. Next, And right around that time, we met your church. We met your pastor. We met your staff. And man, it was a God story. He brought us all together. And we have seen transformation in our church and strengthening in our church. And I'm telling you something right now. We're better together. Can I say that again? We're better together. And I want you to know, man, this family relationship is everything to us. We need you. You. We are better with you. And so we're so thankful for you. I'm thankful that you give. I'm thankful that you serve. I'm thankful that you've come. I'm thankful that you brought us there. I want to challenge some of you. Hey, you know that you're multiplying your church. You're sending people out. You're starting new campuses. Some of you in the seats, I can't help it. I got to say it. Maybe some of you need to leave where you are right now. You're watching this video and you need to join the journey of starting one of those new campuses in Michigan. I cannot say it enough how thankful I am to be a part of this journey with you. I love Pastor Joel, uh, Pastor Luke, all the staff. I love, I love uh, all your elders, man. I'm just so thankful to be a part of this family together. And I want you to know today that what you do matters and that you are making a difference, specifically in Vermont. So I want to say thank you. The best is yet to come. Let's continue to be the church to the glory of God so the world may know. So, yeah, so cool to... To hear about what God is doing, I was able to be there in Vermont with him just a couple of weeks ago preaching at that family of churches uh, that we had there and being asked to do even more. And you're going to be able to hear a little bit about that today. Why? Because it's Vision Sunday. And not only am I going to be preaching about what's on the fireplace or above the fireplace there in our gathering space uh, here at our main site, but really talking about, man, what has God called us to in the future? And there's some important things we better to share with you. We're going to be able to look at the life of Paul in order to do that. But before I even go there, I want to say congratulations to so many people. Pastor Andrew Honeycutt, Byron Center, 
Um, they actually had their official launch today uh, of a site there in Byron Center. It's already at a, they already have to have two services, we think, within a couple months now already after today. Uh, probably three services here shortly, and God is doing a marvelous work. So I want to say hello to them. God is using that place already to bring non-believers to salvation through Jesus Christ. Um, and we're seeing it, and we're having some really, really deep conversations, and it's so cool to see how God is working and what those individuals are a part of. Talking about family of churches, I do want to just mention to you um, the name Heather Rabino. Michael Rabino is the pastor of the church there in Long Island that we're a family church with, and um, as we have started this whole thing and invited them to be a part of it, uh, just this last week or so, she has found out for the third time ovarian cancer has come back, and it's pretty severe. I'm going to fly up with them uh, to be, spend the day with them next, next week at some point, um, at the end of next week, and just to sit with him in the hospital. They don't even know if they're going to be able to do anything about it. They're going to open her up and see where it goes, um, but it's pretty severe, uh, and we get to be brothers and sisters together, and some of you are going through similar things, and we want to uh, pray that people find strength. Um, that church is, is hurting a lot right now, and I'm telling you that that church is a beacon for the gospel in a very, very dark place, uh, about an hour outside of the city of New York. And so um, can we just lift a hand and pray for that family right now? God, I come before you and ask that you would be with the Rabinos, that you would provide your encouragement and strength and comfort and peace, God, physically that you would come and just allow her to know that what's taking place could only be of you because she doesn't have it in herself. Let her declare your goodness even if, because we've had those hard conversations. Let her know that she's loved and cared for by the Almighty and by so many others that are brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Amen. I know so many uh, people here also are going through similar things, and we want to be praying for one another and encouraging each other. Um, I am going to be walking through um, the life of Paul today. I'm Joel, if you don't know, one of the pastors here. And the life of Paul is one of the most important people uh, or stories to me. Uh, it's a story that has always resonated deep, deep in me. Um, and I absolutely love it. And I'm going to try my best to give you a, a pretty good understanding of his life today in just one message. Uh, as, do, as doing that, and as we do that together, um, I think we're going to see a pattern that forms that we're going to be challenged by. There is a northern and a southern kingdom in Israel. And in the southern kingdom, you had two primary tribes. You had Judah and you had Benjamin. That vicinity of the tribe of Benjamin and Judah in the southern kingdom is, is especially important. And you're going to discover why and see it run throughout scripture today. What that meant for Paul is he was born... Um, in Cilicia. Everybody say Cilicia. So here's Paul. He's born in Cilicia, which is there in that region. Very, very important because a hundred years before Paul, that area had served the Roman um, army really well. As a result of that, they gave people who were born in that area, well, they gave them citizenship of Rome. Really vital. You got to get this. 
So now here a bunch of Jews, but because of where they were being born and because of the hundred years prior, I love how God orchestrates everything, a hundred years prior because of them supporting the Roman army, all of a sudden they get to claim citizenship. Typically you can only, if you were not a Roman, truly born there in Rome, if you were not a Roman citizen, you can only claim citizenship if you purchased it. And a lot of military would purchase it. So here's Paul, born in Cilicia, was granted Roman citizenship. It tells us in Acts 21, 39, and it's a great day to write down a lot of scripture I'm going to be jumping into all over the place to help you understand his entire life. Hey, let, let, let me even put it like this. So people don't understand the book of Acts is really a summary of all of his, his overall story and his missionary journey. It's just a big, big picture. All the epistles are more details about that. Like for instance, this last year, I've been preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. So um, Paul was writing from Ephesus to the people of Corinth. There's details about that, but we know he was doing that already from the book of Acts. There's more details with those letters and the epistles. That's what they are. So it's all the letters really and all the happenings that took place that we know from the book of Acts. Big view down to a smaller view. You following me so far? Yes, good? All right. So Acts 21, 39, I'm a Jew of Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city, and I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. He knew it was a significant city because of Roman citizenship. He is going to use that for his favor numerous times throughout his life. Simply where he was born saved his life on more than one occasion. It's fascinating to think about. Paul was able as a man to train under one of the most important um, leaders there, Jewish leaders, um, Gamaliel, he ends up, Paul ends up being held in such high favor. He was a, a smart person, brilliant mind. He was held in so much favor that not only did they consider him to be rabbi, rabbi means the word what? Teacher. Um, a raven would be another, uh, a higher form of rabbi somewhat. Um, like th- Everybody's looking at these guys over here. Look how smart they all are. And then Paul walks in the room and everybody goes, oh, look at this guy. He's the one. He was, he, was a, he was just considered to have that type of stature. He loved the law. He loved being obedient to the law. That's really important for us to understand um, because he saw Christians at that point, people of the way, he saw them as being disobedient to the law of Moses, to the Torah. Torah's Pentateuch, same thing. First five books of the Old Testament, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He saw the people being disobedient to that and the 600 plus laws of the Jewish people. And it really infuriated him. He knew the law better than anybody. He was gonna do everything he could to keep the law no matter what. And now he's got these, these people who are just, heretical in many regards, blasphemy, he would say, in many regards, and he is so angry at what was taking place. So here's this person who I would say in many regards is a Gnostic, right? I think that's why he wrote to the book of Colossians. Colossians is primarily to the Gnostic, the person who has all this knowledge, but yet no transformation. And you're going to see Paul who had all this knowledge and then was transformed, He so detested people of the way. That's before they were named Christians, people of the way. He so detested them and what they stood for that he um, actually oversaw the stoning of Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr, right? So we see that, that he gave oversight to that in Acts chapter 7, uh, 54. He gives approval to the stoning 
of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. Out of that approval of the stoning of Stephen, more things began to happen and he persecuted the church in every single possible way that he could. The very beginning, same Acts chapter nine, we find his transformation, but the very beginning of that chapter, Acts chapter nine, the first couple of verses, we see that he was doing everything he could to persecute the church. Acts chapter 9, 14 through 16, the tide begins to change. It refers to Paul as being God's chosen instrument. I, I want you to, here's a guy who hated, greatest opponent there is to Christianity at the time, right? Hated what it stood for, hated everything about it had this amazing mind and was brilliant and he was wanting to go back. The reason he was traveling to Damascus and to other places um, in that region is that was heading toward home because he wanted to make sure he took everybody who was a believer in Jesus Christ and bring them back to be held accountable. So now he's on this journey and what ends up happening is he encounters the living Savior. And now as a result of discovering or as a result of knowing God, Saul at the time and then becoming Paul, proclaimed his allegiance to Jesus Christ, he was transformed. On the way to Damascus, blinded by light, he got up and he, <coughs> excuse me, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He was transformed. A religious man, he was a religious man who had never experienced transformation. Now that's fascinating to me. Remember, I just gave you just contextualization of everything in the word of God. He's a religious man. And now all of a sudden what we see, here he is, the brightest mind in the room. He's so knowledgeable and he understands so many different things. He was religious, but he had never encountered transformation. And honestly, I've been in West Michigan for almost 10 years. It's really the same as everywhere else. You just talk funny, right? So, but everybody talks funny. If you go there, everybody has an accent. People look at me, they're like, oh, you have an accent. No, I don't, you do. I'm the normal one, right? I mean, that's how we always kind of process it. But one of the things I've learned is people here, they know what they've been told to believe. They know what they've been told to do and not do. They're very religious. But what we need is not more knowledge. We need transformation. We need people to go, wait a second. There's something greater for me to understand and to know. I'm going to live different. It's going to impact every part of my life. You're going to see from Paul, it impacted every part of his life. It tells us in Acts chapter, this is the transformation piece in terms of, it tells us that in Acts chapter nine, verse 18, something like scales fell from his eyes. And so he got up and was baptized. Acts nine eighteen. Something was keeping him as religious as he was. Something was keeping him from seeing the truth of who Jesus was. That fell from his eyes. He got up, took action, was baptized, surrendered everything to him. Some of us, yes, some of us have scales on our eyes. We know what it is to be religious. We know what it is to do the right thing, but yet we have never been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're holding back. We're still living for self. We're still living in, in a way in which we want God to simply better what our desires are rather than praying that our desires will line up with the will of God. Those are very different things. And he recognized that it wasn't he that had changed himself, but it was the risen 
conquering savior, Jesus Christ, that had changed him. And as a result of that, he became his obedient subject in every single possible way. He was transformed as a result. Also, we know this, it, it was hard. I'm not gonna go too much into this part of the story, but here he is. He's a, he used to walk into every room with his shoulders back, right? He was the man. Like Jewish people would look at him and be like, oh, that's Paul coming. I'm Saul at that point. Like that's Saul coming. Okay, he's just amazing. He's so knowledgeable. He knows everything. He's the guy. Well, now all of a sudden he comes to know Jesus Christ and everybody hates him. The non-believer, or I would say the Christian, was, they were afraid of him. And now the people who are the Jewish people, they didn't like him either because they saw him as uh, betraying them in many regards. And so as a result, he's in Damascus. He's professed his faith in Jesus Christ. He's been baptized. And now they have to, rather than him walking out like this, they're having to lower him down outside the walls in a basket to protect him as he goes to Jerusalem. Gets to Jerusalem and the believers don't trust him either. He used to be the man. And now he's that guy. This is the life of Paul. We learn in Galatians chapter one, verse 18, another passage for you to write down. In Galatians chapter one, verse 18, it tells us that after three years, he went to visit with Cephas. Cephas is also known as who? Peter. Two of the most important people we find in the New Testament outside of Christ. Peter's another amazing story, of course, but he goes and they meet, he meets with Peter, with James. He, they share their experiences. And at this point, he is, Paul is preaching and teaching. The overarching story of the journeys are found in the book of Acts. That's one of the things that, again, you have to recognize. Overarching story, book of Acts, epistles lay it out in more detail. And there he is, he starts taking missionary journeys. He has three primary big missionary journeys. Let me tell you, traveling back then was hard. I don't think there's many of us today who would do it. I know as, as I travel to places, I told you, you know, in a week I'll go be with Michael. I, I have to pray before I travel now because I found myself, I've lost patience sometimes. I expect everything to go well, no matter what. I'll get on a plane. I, I, I used to get upset. It'd be like a 10 minute delay. I'm about to fly 800 miles in an hour and 20 minutes. And then there's a 10 minute delay and I'm all upset and bothered. Like, I'm going to go get in a giant bucket. They're going to throw it 35,000 feet up in the air. It's going to travel 550 miles an hour and then throw me. They're not going to throw me out. I pray they don't throw me out. It's going to land. Like, that's amazing by itself. Well, traveling back then, man, if you're getting on a ship especially, if you're getting on a ship to travel anywhere, to assume that it was going to make it and arrive at its actual destination intended was wrong because it was hard. The journeys were tough. Illnesses were all over the place. And so just for them to travel outside of what they already knew was a big thing. But he had traveled already and the missionary journeys were taking place. Even before going on the missionary journeys, he began to debate and to argue and to, and to try to teach people. He debated a lot with the Hellenist. Hellenists are, in, in essence, Jews who grew up in Greek territory or even Greeks who are converted to Judaism. And so they brought a different understanding of the gospel to them. And it's almost like there was a different denomination they were trying to form. Like everybody started believing in different things, right? I mean, we formed different, they didn't start denominations here. I'm not saying that. But it's like they're trying to line everybody's understanding and interpretation of scripture up because, because of the different con contextualization, people came with different experiences. And a lot of times we interpret scripture based on what we want it to say rather than what it actually says. 
And that's what we do. So he's debating with Hellenists, and um, it's the same group, actually, that Stephen originally debated, so it's really interesting that he gave approval, oversight to his death. The Hellenists began to get pretty upset with Paul, just like everybody else. That was one of Paul's spiritual giftedness, is, is upsetting others. I mean, truly, you're going to see numerous times that people try to take his life. And he just kept doing his thing. Kept doing his thing. There was a plot to murder Paul. Once again, it just, it just starts this downward spiral in many regards. And so he's brought to Caesarea, um, out of the city into Caesarea, and then back to Tarsus. He goes on his first missionary journey. That really unfolds in Acts chapter 13 where even that's when the, um, the churches in Galatia were then established. So God's going to use one of his greatest opponents previously to now start forming the New Testament church. And he continues to shape them and to shape them. And God had called him, God then prepared him, and then God sent him. And some of us need to understand that if God has called you, which if you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, God has called you. My question is, what is he preparing you to do? And where is he preparing you to go? It doesn't always mean geographical change, but God is calling us to represent the power of Jesus Christ in every part of our life. And then what we step into is these three missionary journeys, Acts chapter 13 through 20, even 21. And I think his missionary journeys is one way to think about him passionately responding, by the way. His trans transformation led to a willingness to do really, really hard things. I mean, really hard things. Right today, somebody, I, I remember I was telling my kids about my first vehicle, right? Everybody knows it was a 1973 Chevy pickup truck. It honked every time I turned left, mustard yellow, eight miles a gallon, big V8, had no weight in the back. I grew up in Georgia, so you would throw a bunch of firewood in the back to keep the wheels down in the winter if it ever got a little icy. Um, and guess what it did not have? Air conditioning. I, told, I remember telling my kids out there like, no, like their eyes got big. No way. How did you make it? <laughs> it's called roll the windows down. Oh, so you press a button. No, you do this. <laughs> right? Just that blows our minds sometimes. Oh man, what you sacrifice for the kingdom. Seriously. But now you have Paul who said, no, 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 you know what? I'm going to be willing to get on all these boats and start traveling. I'm going to start playing the gospel. There's going to be so many people who want to kill me, but it's all good because I have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And he's going to keep doing it time and time again. Friends, hear me say now, we had better be doing more than simply trying to learn from Paul. We had be, we'd better be trying to emulate him. And that's part of what we need to understand. The call that God has for Chapel Point is so far us that we have to have partnership here but also from other people in order to do what God has called us to do. God has called us to preach the gospel in, in radical ways and I promise, this is my promise to you, as long as I'm one of the pastors here, we will preach the full Bible. But we will do it with grace and with truth and gentleness and kindness because God can redeem anyone from anything at, and Paul is the perfect example of that, isn't he? Here he is persecuting people. And now all of a sudden God says, I'm going to use your chosen instrument. 
The very people that sometimes we don't think can be used for anything good are the very people that God chooses to use to do only things in the kingdom that he can accomplish. We have to start recognizing this. So he goes on all these missionary journeys and he's preaching and he's teaching. He goes back to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 21. Give me your big summary here. Jews, Gentiles, everybody's starting to come to know, a lot of people starting to come to know Jesus Christ and that ticks off a lot of people. And so what we see right after this in chapter 21, 17 through Acts chapter 28, verse 28, which is the very end of the book, what we find is Paul is then arrested. He's going to be arrested a lot. And then he takes a trip to Rome and a lot of other things take place. So Paul gets arrested because he was upsetting so many people. Here, here's the reality of why he was arrested so much is that Paul was a devoted Jew who cared more about obedience to God than traditions and routine. If you're not seeking what God has asked of you, what the call is, how can you care about obedience? If you don't know what God has called you to, the obedient part, obedience part is really difficult. I, I've just seen so many people who care more about tradition and ritual. I remember the very first church I went into, I was in a tie every week and I wore a big robe. It's high liturgy. I was in a robe every single week. I would lose about 17 pounds in sweat. It's in Georgia. And the main sanctuary was built in the late, late, late 1800s. We had no AC sacrificing for the kingdom. And I'm there and I'm just, you know, three and a half years. It was a great place, great people. I learned so much. But then I saw all these young people coming and they didn't want to come to the service, but they'd come to a Bible study I'd leave during the week. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to do a different service. And so I started, you never, you would never think the hatred that I got for starting a service on a Saturday night. But yet over a hundred young adults who were never in the church came and many of them gave their life to Jesus Christ. Just that. The allegiance to a tradition. I went to the next church. I was in Kentucky. That's where I met my wife. Same thing happened. I'm like, I need, can I use the worship service? Uh, the worship center, nobody's using it. On, uh, can I use it? Like, You're not using that. No. So I, I'm just there like, you can use the chapel. Said about 250 people, you couldn't get in. You would be amazed at the hatred I received from people because we did things a little different but people came to know Jesus Christ. That's nothing compared to the things that Paul would do. You see, Paul was accused of defiling tradition. That's why they hated him so much. Paul is accused of defiling the holy place, turning everything upside down. And so all of a sudden what takes place is this, and a crowd began to gather around all these people who hated Paul. Why do crowds typically form? Well, listen, crowds often form because the majority of people, they just go with the crowd because they don't live by conviction. And if you don't know what the conviction is in your life, what God is really asking you to be a part of, what God is asking you to do for the kingdom of God, then you just go with the crowd and the most number of people around you. And that's what took place with the crowds then. And so Paul is being brought forth and accused of so many wrongs, so many different things, and violence begins to erupt. 
I mean, literally, it was at this point, Paul's in the temple worshiping some, with some friends. Some Jews had it out for Paul, so an angry mob formed, and they, they drug Paul out in order to stone him, flog him, whatever. That's his life. There was a Roman commander at the time, though, in charge of keeping the peace. Uh, the peace. And so the commander assumes Paul is guilty. But um, just before he's about to flog, flog Paul, uh, they're about to flog him and to beat him. Uh, Paul reminds him that he was a Roman citizen. Cilicia. Everybody say Cilicia. That's where he's from. So now he can claim what? Roman citizenship. One thing they don't want to do is tick off Rome with a Roman citizen. That's why I started with that part of the uh, sermon so that you go, oh, now it comes back. So he reminds them of where he's from, that he can claim Roman citizenship. And so as a result of that very thing, they're not able to do anything with Paul. He's not convicted of anything. They end up releasing him. And he goes and he speaks to the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin were the religious authorities of the time. Now, there are several Sanhedrins, but there's one primary Sanhedrin that was there. In Jerusalem, about 72 members, Joseph of Arimathea, who gave his tomb, right, to Jesus after his crucifixion would be one of those members. So here what we find are all these individuals coming together, religious leaders, religious leaders, and Paul's going to step in and speak to them. At some point, you would think that Paul would be like, hang on a second. I can't. He's going through so many difficult things. And at some point you would think he'd be like, can I just take a vacay? I would take a short vacation at some point. I would have taken like just a short one, like six months off. Something where you just go, can I just get some rest? But Paul's like, no, I've got to live for Jesus Christ. And remember, I'm not asking you to simply learn from him. I'm asking you to pray about how do you need to emulate him. He goes and he speaks to the Sanhedrin. The reason I think Paul could do what he do, I think he was rooted in prayer and the teachings of God. It's, there are seven major prayers that we find from Paul. There are other prayers as well, by the way. They're just really small. It's kind of like parables. I tell people there's roughly 42 parables of Jesus. They're like, well, how, how do you not know the real number? I'm like, it depends. You know, sometimes the mustard seed, it's like one sentence. I'm like, is that a parable? Is it not? Same kind of thing with the prayer. Some of them are one sentence and it's a prayer that he's calling out. But there are seven that I can think of right away. Ephesians 3, 17 and following would be an example of that. That he just calls out deep, deep prayers. Knowing the width and the height and the depth of Jesus Christ. Asking that he could do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And, and I think about those types of prayers. Paul is a man of prayer. He became a man of prayer. It gave him a confidence to be able to step forward and to live the life that he was living. Well, we then come and after speaking words to the Sanhedrin, we come to Acts chapter 23. And in Acts chapter 23, verse 9, we find another uproar. It says there was a great clamor that arose and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. And now this was triggering another movement to say, we got to get rid of Paul. In fact, it was so bad, it was Paul's sister's son who found out that there was going to be another plot to kill Paul. And so um, because he was a Roman citizen and they knew that the, there was an urgency to move him, they moved him back to Caesarea. And the middle of the night, it tells us, with 500 guards. 500. How many? 
It's right after 499, right? 200 on horseback. Middle of the night, moving this guy because they're so, uh, they're not wanting anything to happen to him until um, Rome can be involved. And so they move him in the middle of the night to Caesarea. At the time, the governor was Felix, and quickly he realized, he knew, listen, Paul had a lot of enemies. But guess what else Paul had? A lot of friends. They didn't know exactly how to handle this. They take him back to Caesarea. And as a result of all that, um, they start to kind of somewhat interview him. Felix being afraid of doing anything as a governor, he ends up locking him up in prison for two years. After those two years, Felix is no longer the governor. There's a new governor named Festus, F-E-S-T-U-S. Festus ends up talking to Paul as well. Here's his case. The Jews are wanting Festus to release him and send him back to Jerusalem so that they can ambush him and kill him once again. Wow. But then Paul reminds the governor that he had appealed to Caesar and so he should be sent to Rome. And so that's where he goes. Here's what's also remarkable to me about this story. Is on his, in Acts chapter 27 and Acts chapter 28, you find his journey to Rome and he's put on a boat to go to Rome. That boat crashes on an island. He's stranded over the winter. They pick him back up in the spring and then take him to be in prison in Rome. That's a fun year. This is just a very broad understanding of the life of Paul. So once he arrives in Rome, and remember, he just had been stranded on an island because of the shipwreck that occurred. He gets brought to Rome. He's put under house arrest. When you're put under house arrest, you're actually chained to other people. Now, some of you are going, man, it's so hard. It's so difficult. Um, but he's chained to other people. And that's where he ends up writing roughly half of the New Testament. Sometimes it's not wrong to pray that God will get us through the difficulty. But sometimes we need to recognize and just pray that God will do whatever he wants in the midst of the difficulty. Because sometimes it's in the difficulty that he receives the most glory. He's in the midst of difficulty right now under house arrest in chains writing half of the New Testament. Was it worth it? Yeah. Maybe instead of always praying, and again, I don't say, if, if you're going through hardship and difficulty, we've all, anybody who has blood going through their veins has been through hardship. Amen? Amen. We got to recognize that. Some of us always act like we've been through worse than anybody else. No, you don't really know that. Recognize that God can work in the hardship. In fact, sometimes that's when he does receive the most amount of glory because we go, man, that was only God that did that. There ain't no way that I did that. And so there he is. He goes under house arrest, writes the majority of the New Testament. He's set before Caesar and not knowing the outcome of his life. For a moment, he's even released and he goes, first place he goes is he goes to where all the Jewish leaders are and he starts to preach to them. This guy. That's where he tells us in 2 Timothy 4, 6, he looks at them and he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is coming. He knew it was because that's when the emperor, during his time period there in Rome, the emperor of Rome was Nero. Many of you know from history that around 64, 65, the emperor of Rome, Nero, he burned his own city to the ground. 
Some historians, not the word of God, historians actually talk about him playing his fiddle and enjoyment, knowing that, because he wanted to rebuild it. He, he had it, his own plans, but he blamed Christians because the people that hated Christians. Who was the most vocal and seen Christian? Paul. And so coming out of all this, we find that Paul was rearrested, 66, 67, they end up beheading him. That's the life of Paul. We need more Pauls. That's why we talk about, it's why we have Vision Sunday. We want you to understand that I think that this church is called to live the life of Paul in many ways. That regardless of what the community says, regardless of what others may do, we need to stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ and preach that there's a truth and there's, he is the way. He is the life. He's the light of the world. He's the, he's the shepherd. He's the gate. He is Messiah, Emmanuel. And that's why we're asking for some of you to start considering, will you not only be, we use the word consumer, just watching from the silence. Will you participate? Will you become a partner with us? The New Testament church is full of a partnership that is deep and rich. In Philippians chapter one, four through five, he says, in all my prayers, I pray, I thank God for you, for your partnership in the gospel. Now there's more to it than this because literally, and I've told, told this church numerous times, what's remarkable is back then you had to pay for your stay in prison. And so literally the people in Philippi were paying for a stay in prison in Rome. But it was deeper than that too because they were praying for each other. Paul's life, I've already told you, modeled what it is to pray to God and to live a life that was boldly declaring the gospel of Jesus no matter what, no matter whether you're in prison, no matter whether or not somebody was chained to you in Rome, no matter if people wanted to kill you and you're being ushered with 500 guards in the middle of the night, no matter if you were stranded on an island in the middle of the winter, it did not matter. Paul preached Jesus. We need more Pauls. And we're asking if you would partner with us and the ministry. And I know that some of you are going, well, membership's not even mentioned in the word of God. The name Trinity is not mentioned in the word of God. But there is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they came together in this devotion to one another. And they bounded their arms together. And they said, we will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. We need more Pauls. We need people partnering together and saying, we will do this with each other. And so the New Testament church was so powerful, the commitment that they had. And when it says in the book of Acts, it says that day by day they lived together. It didn't mean that they once a week came together for an hour or so. It means, guess what? You know what that means? It means day by day they lived together. They encouraged each other. They helped each other. They came alongside of each other and blessed each other and held each other, other, their arms up when they were weak, when they were tired, and they stood for the gospel. They were more concerned about how God wanted to use their life than making sure that God did whatever they desired in their own life. It's the power of the gospel, and we need partnership to do that. Recently, Pastor Tim that you saw on the screen from Vermont, he was like, listen, 
I was just in a town, almost 30, I think it was 27,000 people and there's no Christian church in the entire town. And he's like, well, you plant a church there and we can do it together maybe. I was like, I can't right now. He's like, why? You're all about this. I'm like, because we just started a couple more and we got this other one going on and we're being asked to put one in Connecticut. I'm having to say no to the one in Connecticut. They're like, Here, here's a building. I'm like, I can't do it right now. And they said, why? I said, one, because we're out of resources. Two, we need more partners. We need people to go. We need more Pauls. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep asking you to do the same things I'm asking today. I'm asking for it to mess with you. And I know that some people, they were bothered when they're coming in because it was hard to get in and out. Praise God that God's working. Can we say, God, thank you for traffic? Isn't it a lot better than driving into a parking lot like, this is empty. I don't know why we pay for all this asphalt. You couldn't get in the gym in our other venue on this site in the last service. Praise God. I say we build a parking garage. That'll go great in Hudsonville. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep beating. I need, we need you to partner with us. I believe that God can use a bunch of lovers of Jesus from the mug fields of West Michigan to change a region. I believe it. He used Paul. So I'm gonna ask you to do five things, five steps. And I'm asking everyone, write them down. Take the pen from the guy next to you. I don't care if you have to prick your finger and write it in blood. This is what I'm asking you to do because it's all rooted in the word of God. I want you to pray today. This is a today. You can write today. Pray with family or a friend. Pray with someone in your family or a friend today. Just say, God, um, just look at them and say, hey, I've never done this before. I need to pray for you. God, bless this person, X, Y, Z, whatever the name is. Bless them, let them hear from you and know you, encounter you. Amen. That's all I got to say. Amen. Praying with people matters. I remember one of the first times I got my, I got my hutchfa up. I just started working for a company. I was in college at the time working for a company. And uh, there's a, the general manager of a store, Kroger, you know Kroger, it's like a mire. I'm meeting with the general manager and he's probably 45, 50. He's old like I am right now. And um, I was 19, 18, 19. I said, I don't know why I'm supposed to pray for you. And it was the worst. If there's any such thing as a bad prayer, that was it. God help this person sell stuff. Be with him, like it was bad. But I prayed with him. I was nervous, I was shaking. And I'll tell you what it did. What it did was, um, and this is, I love, man, the one thing that gets me is non-unbelievers. Uh, and um, two weeks later, he's like, hey, would you pray for me again? And that man came to know Christ. I mean, I was scared too. Friends, if we can't pray for other people, how are we gonna be used like Paul? If you can't muster enough audacity, enough courage up to pray for a brother, a sister, a family member, a spouse, a loved one, a friend, if you can't muster that, how are we supposed to pray, God, however you want it, thy will be done. Do whatever you want with us, just bring your kingdom. Today, will you pray with someone? 
Tell one person what God's doing in your life. If you don't know what God's doing in your life, it's real hard to be obedient to it. I've already said it. Tell this week, so you got today, pray with somebody. This week, tell one person, can I tell you what God's doing in my life? Man, he, right now, I'll tell you, God has just said, Joel, just get ready. It's gonna be hard, but I got some hard stuff coming, but I need you to be faithful. Like he, I know, I've already told our elders, some of them, I was like, I, I know it's coming. I don't even know what it is. He's just like, get ready. So I, I do core and I'm working my stomach out and I'm thinking I, I need to be ready to spiritually speaking, figuratively speaking, I need to be ready to take kidney shots. Kidney shots are coming. Kidney shots are coming. I got to get ready. I got to get ready. So now I'm praying more than ever. Go on mission. We already have 16 ships going. Some of them are already full. We'll, we'll come up with more. There's plenty of places to go. We'll figure it out. And when I say we'll figure it out, I mean other people will figure that out. They're awesome people though. Pastor Steve will take care. He'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Join a group. And I know some of you are going to go, I don't want to be in a group. I don't want, I, I'm, I hear it from men all the time. Oh, I just don't want to be in a group. I'm like, dude, speak English. Well, I just, not, I'm not really wired that way. Maybe if you take your eyes off of yourself long enough, you'll recognize that maybe God wants you to be in community for the other people. Oh, snap. Maybe God is wanting to use you to speak words of encouragement into the lives of somebody else. But because you're so uncomfortable with being known, listen, you already know about the creator of the universe. Get used to it. We got to get over ourselves. Seriously. And if you want to be in a group, listen, our groups and some of you, if you're not going to do what we ask in terms of walking through scripture and holding each other accountable, we're just going to shut you down because we are too consumed with making sure we spread the gospel. I'm telling them, get ready. Will you join us, partner with us? We're asking you to give of your time and your money to support. One of the reasons we couldn't do it is because we're out of resources. Like we've got a Holt site, we've got a Byron Center site. We're being asked to go other places. I'm like, we can't do it. If everybody in this church, and yes, money does matter. And I don't speak about it a lot, but I'll tell you, it is a spiritual act of worship. And I'll tell you right now, if everybody in this church gave 10% for the next two months, just to the end of the year, we'd have resources to start three to four more churches. I did the math. That's significant. And those are cheap sites because we're just, people are giving us their buildings. We have to do a little bit of work to them. But. We're far lower, nationally speaking. We don't even come close to average attendance nationally to, that the nation does in terms of church attendance. And we're well below average giving. as a region. Will you, will you help us? Partner with us. Take a step. God is doing a marvelous work. I pray you don't end your life going, oh, that was cool to watch. How miserable would that be? That was neat to see. How about this? Look what I got to do. Look what I got to join in a movement of the Almighty.
So, Pastor, I'm going to ask that you come. And I just want us to step in and sing a chorus of a song. It's called Christ Be Magnified. And as you listen to this, I'm going to pray that you just recognize that God is asking you to partner with us. Be a Paul. Be a Paul. Let's sing this together. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. And oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. Christ be magnified in me. Sing that with me. And oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. And oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. Christ be magnified in me. Christ, may you be magnified and receive all glory forever and ever. May we know what it is to be a Paul and to preach the gospel. Amen.